Uh, we certainly want to welcome all of our visitors today. Uh, my name is Keith Maddy. I'm, I'm uh, one of the four pastors uh, here at, at uh, Heritage Baptist Church. And um, I've been given the privilege uh, to be the pastor for missions and uh, communications. It is, um, it is nothing but pure pleasure and privilege. Hi. I think this is almost a universal experience um, in our childhood. If it's not, it's an exceptional case, I think. But when your mom and dad uh, were going to read you a story, uh, and you hadn't heard the story before, I think most of us at some time or another have asked the question, does it have a happy ending? I always wanted to know that. I always wanted to know if it had a happy ending. And when somebody goes and sees a movie, and I don't go into a lot of movies now, uh, uh, the last movie, I can't think of the last movie uh, 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 that I saw, but, the, but they'll talk about the movie, and I, I still, I'm an old man, I still want to know, does it have a happy ending? We want a happy ending. And that's why uh, some of the most enduring stories, uh, uh, the fairy tales, all of them are searching and wanting that happy ending. They want a prince. They want a wizard. They want a transformation. It's, it's Cinderella. It's Sleeping Beauty. It's the Wizard of Oz. It's beauty and the beast. We want that prince. We want that ideal situation. Deep down inside, what we really want and what we're really looking for, and we don't know it, we're looking for holy Jesus. We're looking for the Son of God, who is the Prince of Peace. That's who we're all really hungering for, but we don't know it. We are fastened on earthly things. But will your story, will your story have a happy ending? If Christ is your treasure, if he is your substitute, if you feel yourself to be nothing without him, if he is your only hope to have any happiness forever, you will have a happy ending. When your story ends, it will be happy. But if that is not the case with you, what can we say? The best that we can say, if Jesus is not your Savior right now, if he is not all of your hope and all of your confidence, if he is not the payment for your sins, if you're not clothed in his righteousness, the end of your story, right now, the best we can say is that it's uncertain. We do not know. 
maybe you thought I was going to say, you're going to go to hell. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I can say. Because as long as you are alive, as long as you live, as long as your heart is beating and your, and your lungs are functioning, you can be saved. But right now it's uncertain because you have heard the gospel. Almost all of you are in a Christian family. And if you're outside of Christ right now, you have yet to call upon his name. You have yet to secure the end of your story to be a happy one. But that's what we're going to see. That's uh, what uh, Jason Houston read so well, uh, this happy ending. There's a popular proverb. I don't hear it that much anymore, but I heard it growing up. I was told this. All good things must come to an end. That's right. That's what they say. And if what they mean by that is that every good thing on this earth has an expiration date and it, it's not going to last and maybe the application of it is to enjoy it to the max, but it's going to end. But there is a sense in which that statement is not true. It's not true because Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It says in Romans 8.28 that all things, everything works together for those who love God, for those that are called according to His purpose. That statement is actually false. Here's a statement that you never hear that's actually true. All bad things will come to an end. They will. That's what Jason read. All the bad things, the, the detestable, the vile, the murderers, the sorcerers, the idolaters... That has an expiration date that will come to an end. And so when you read God's Word and the passage that is before us, you'll see that both of those things are in the passage, both of those statements. There are images in God's Word of the ultimate reality uh, that is coming. That's Revelation 21, and it's also found in in other places, there are images, there are precursors, there are types, there are symbols uh, throughout the Bible. There is a high priest in, in the Old Testament, and then there is Jesus. There is a priestly tribe, uh, the sons of Aaron. And then there is a chosen race. Every believer is a royal priesthood, a holy nation proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called him out of darkness. I was raised a Roman Catholic. And, and, and when I got saved, I wanted to be a priest when I was a Catholic. And then, and then I noticed there were, uh, there were girls. And, 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 and that was the undoing of the whole thing. But when I got saved, I became a priest. And my testimony was, and so did my wife. 
she's a priest too. But there were lambs and goats and doves and bulls and heifers. Then there was Jesus. There were altars and there was a holy of holies. There was Calvary. But Hebrews 9.24 says this, For Christ has entered. Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands. That's not where Christ took his sacrifice. The writer to the Hebrews calls them copies of the true things. But he entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That's the reality. That's where he took the sacrifice. He took it from Calvary and he presented it right before his Father in, in heaven and there he sits and he lives forever to be an intercessor for us. And so, in Eden, there was a garden temple. Pastor Ted told us about that where God met with Adam and Eve. And even after they fell, they recognized the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's Genesis 3.8. They were accustomed to God being there. They knew his footstep. They knew the sound of his walking. There was Solomon's temple, which uh, Pastor Mark told us about, and he, he covered the whole Old Testament marvelously like this. There were the lavish furnish, furnishings. There were cups and, and snuffers and basins and dishes, and there was incense, and there were sockets, and there was gold, and there was an altar overlaid with gold with, with horns on on, on the four corners. There was all of that. But what did Solomon say in, in uh, 1 Kings 8, 8, 8, 27? He says, but will God, will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house, this splendid house which I have built. He saw the in, inadequacy of it and, and, and we know that it, it was destroyed and then it was rebuilt but it was a meeting place. And then we come to the New Testament and, and we saw that something greater than the temple came again. It's Jesus. Uh, uh, that's Matthew 12, 6. John 2, 18. Uh, Jesus says, destroy this temple as he spoke of his own body. D destroy this temple. I will raise it up in three days. That's the temple. But what we have today then, what we have uh, this morning, is the ultimate temple. This is the temple that Jesus brings us to. This is what the blood of Christ has ultimately purposed to purchase us for. Uh, Revelation 21 and verse 22 says, among all the things that John saw and heard, he says, I saw no temple in the city. For the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. That is the ultimate temple. 
What did Christ die for? He died to pay for our sins. He died to give us a perfect righteousness. He died to bring us to God. He also died to bring God to us. And that's what we're going to see in uh, this passage. I was going to give you the outline up front, but in, in order to save time, you'll see what it is. It's all about contrasts. It's all about, in, in, in verse 1, you have a contrast between the new heaven and the new earth uh, versus the first earth and what it, it contained. There's a new cosmos that is going to be seen. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And they are dissolved. They are no more. What we've been accustomed to will be radically different. There'll be a total renovation and renewal and transformation of the earth and of the heavens. It is a qualitatively different kind of newness. Radically changed. If if you notice, for example, chapter 22 and verse 4, there is no night. Since creation, there has been day and night. There will be no night. There will be no darkness. That's been going on uh, for generations. Isaiah 65, 17 says in, in this connection, this idea was prophesied and uh, whether the people could see it or not as clearly as we can see it today Isaiah said on behalf of God for behold I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered nor shall they come to mind that's Isaiah 65 17 this new heavens and new earth was prophesied about the curious thing about verse 1, it says that the sea will no longer exist, and the sea was no more. What we learn about the sea, if we confine ourselves just to the book of Revelation and, 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 and what it might symbolize, we find out in Revelation 13:1 that John saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on his heads. The sea represents the origin of cosmic evil. It also represents the idolatrous trade and the divider, the separator of nations. In Revelation 18, uh, 17, it says, And all the shipmasters... And the seafaring, the seafaring men, sailors, sailors, and all those whose trade is on the sea stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of their burning. And they threw dust on their heads and wept and, and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, uh, for the great city, for where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. The idolatrous nations, the, the, the 
idolatrous waterways uh, that, that, that the sea was. And then it is also the place of the dead. Revelation 20, 13 says, and the sea gave up the dead who, who were in it. And we saw in our Sunday school class earlier that it, it, it is the hindrance, even the insurmountable obstacle to the happiness and freedom of God's people. Isaiah 51.10 says, Was it not you who dried up the sea, the, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So you see the symbolism. There'll be a new order. Uh, there'll be no evil. There'll be no idolatry. There'll be no division. There'll be no death. There'll be no threat. There will be no obstacle to freedom and peace. The old order will be gone. It will be forgotten. This is a huge contrast for us. In the second place then, in verse 2, you see a contrast between the, the Jerusalem that comes down from above of, of the heavenly one and, and the earthly one that, that only God's people knew of and, and it's not even mentioned. The text says that it's a holy city. I say to myself, ah, ah, finally, finally, a city in which there is no unrighteousness, there is holiness, there is purity, there is nothing unclean. It is a Jerusalem that we long for, that is big enough for the multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every ethnicity. They will fit in this city easily. Isaiah 52, 1 says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come in, into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. It will only be God's people who have circumcised hearts, who have purified clean hearts. And there has been no city like that ever on earth it will never be found look at the contrast uh, the earthly cities are hotbeds uh, for sin and decadence and corruption and capital crimes that's what the cities are actually known for but Isaiah 62 1 and 2 says for Zion's sake I will not keep silent and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord uh, will give. It will be that name, Jerusalem, that comes out of heaven. And the text goes on to say, as a bride prepared. <laughs> this is a metaphor for 
a city that is filled with the multi-ethnic multitude of God's people. What do you make of a bride? Isn't she lovely? Isn't she beautiful? Isn't, isn't that the time uh, where the groom stands at the front of the sanctuary and his gaze as he sees his future wife coming down, he can hardly hold the tears back. He can hardly control himself. She is absolutely gorgeous. She is like, it's like an angel has come down. That's how we men feel. Whether we show that now or not is another question. But right now, when we think of our wedding day, ah, wasn't she stunning? Wasn't she magnificent? Well, see, that is what God does uh, for his church. That's, he's the one who prepares her as, as such. So we come to the third place then. We move from what John saw to now what he hears. And in verse 3, we see this stark contrast. God is permanently dwelling and being with men, with all of the redeemed humanity. There's a new dwelling place. It's a place that we have never seen before, that we can scarcely imagine that place. It's only prefigured in, in the earthly temple. When Jesus came and, and, and he was God with us uh, for 33 years, uh, we saw him for a time. He was the exact representation of who God is. He was the imprint of who and what the character of God is really, really like. He, he was perfectly God, this holy, sinless, harmless, separated from sinners Savior. But now, you see, God gives himself as fully and completely as possible. He will dwell with us. We will feel and know that we are his people and he will manifestly be our God. I can scarcely take it in. We're going to live in God. We're going to walk into the temple that God is. We're going to see God in the lovely face of Jesus Christ for all eternity infinitely glorious we we cannot imagine it. it it is so stupendous but god says i will dwell with you and there is no temple mentioned here there is no physical dimension given in this passage god could not see why is it absent why isn't it there why can't he see it it's because god almighty is the temple that's what Christ died to give us. He died to give us God. And we will have Him. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm looking forward to it with all of my heart. Because that's what the text says. So that's what we hear then in the uh, third place. In the fourth place, the contrast in verse 4, is between uh, the former things, like tears and weeping and death and mourning and crying and pain. 
we're told that they will no longer exist. They are said to have been completely passed away and a whole new order has come. Why are the tears, why are there tears and crying and pain? C.F. Lewis says that if you love deeply, you're going to get hurt badly. But those who know what that is will agree with C.S. Lewis. He says, if you love deeply, you're going to get hurt badly, but it is still worth it. It is worth it. Losses like death, uh, which are mentioned in, in, in the passage, uh, bring us some of the greatest pains of our lives. Uh, to lose a friend, uh, to lose our parents, uh, to lose our grandparents, <laughs> to lose a child. I don't know what that is, but some of your brothers and sisters can tell you what that is. Uh, people cry out of a sense of their own demerit and unworthiness. They cry for joy. They cry because they're so happy sometimes. They weep uh, for the souls of others. It breaks their hearts. If some of you kids knew how much your parents wept for you, it would break your heart. If my son, my only son, knew how much I loved him and how much I have prayed for him, his mom and I, and how much I have wept for him, and how much you weep for your sons and daughters. What a difference we hope it would make if a child knew that. But the brokenness and, and the brokenheartedness uh, for the sin that is in this world, it, 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 it is, it's just so hard. There's a North Korean pastor. Uh, his name is Lim Hyun Soo. I just read about him in in last week's World Magazine. He's a, he's he's a younger pastor. He's been arrested. He he gets life in prison with hard labor. He's something like thirty nine years old or forty one years old, something like that. And I read that and I weep. I pray that he'll have a ministry in that prison. But he's going to be separated from his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, if, if he has them. His church loses everything for the love of Christ. But may Christ be with Lim Hyun Su in a most special way. May he be used of God, even if he spends the rest of his life there. I pray for his freedom. Uh, Spurgeon says this, and this... Not everybody can relate to this, but I know that some can. And if, if, if you can't, you can still learn a lesson from it. Uh, Spurgeon says, grace has its triumphs still, and patience has its martyrs. There is a different kind of martyr. Martyrs, nonetheless, to be honored... Because the flames kindle about their spirits rather than their bodies. 
and their burnings. Their burning is unseen of human eyes. Some of you know what he's talking about. Some of you have such a burning, broken heart. And you are suffering even more than a martyr suffers because they suffer and die and, and, and it's over. You have a chronic suffering. You, you have a burning that kindles about your soul and not about your body. I don't know who you are, but I know this. We've got to be kind to one another. We've got to be loving towards one another. We don't know what somebody else is suffering. We don't know who they are. I don't know who they are. But I know that this is true, that there are people who the, the flames lick their souls and not their bodies. But John says in, in uh, uh, Revelation 5, 5, weep no more. If we weep because we are confused and we are uncertain and we don't know what's going to happen and, and, and we sometimes forget this. He says, weep no more. Be, behold, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls. The world is in the hands of the lion of the tribe of Judah. All the wars and all the sadness and all the, all the problems and all the difficulties and all the joys and all the blessings and all the resources and all the countries and all the peoples, they're all in his hands. He is opening the scrolls. The decrees of God are in the hands of Jesus Christ. They're in the hands that were wounded for you. That's whose hands they are in. And we can trust him. Well, the text says, uh, the former things have passed away. And he says in, in, in what we can call the prophetic present, they have passed away. Look at it. They have passed away. Uh, finally then, the fifth and last contrast. In, in verses 5 through 8, you see the contrast between all things being made new and those who will have them and enjoy them. They are called in the text the thirsty, of the ones who conquer, of the victors. They are called sons. And, and, and of course, daughters is included in, in the sons. And then the stark contrast with those who will not, of the cowards, the faithless, the unbelieving detestable, those who have a vile nature, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. They're in a different portion all, all together. And on what basis can the king say that? Well, because he's the one who is sitting on the throne. He's the one who's going to bring about this complete and total renovation. It's based on absolute truth and absolute irrevocably certain fact because he establishes it cannot be taken away god is the personification of truth itself that's who we have that's who's saying it you can hang your whole soul upon what god says 
Thirst is the, the foundational metaphor for sustenance, for longing, for necessity. And he says there will be a fountain, there will be a flow, and it will be free. It will be without cost. It is paid by Jesus Christ. It's paid for by him. He says, it's done. Look at it. It has an exclamation point on it. I don't know if those are inspired or not, but you've got to put it there. It's done. It's now. It's as good as done. It is done. Uh, for the conquerors, uh, for the victors, for the ones who come out of the holy war, that's who we are. We have to fight. We have to do battle with sin. They will get the inheritance. They will get the place, according to the text, as sons in the family of God uh, forever. They are courageous. Here's another World Magazine. These are... I know not, not everybody can see that, but, 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 but you can at least see the orange. These are uh, 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 the 21 Christians in Libya who were on that beach in, in uh, 2015 that were cut down uh, by the Islamic ISIS. What does it say right there? It says, unconquered. That's who they are. <laughs> they were not conquered. They are the victors. They are the ones who won. All of us will win. There'll be no loser. Not a single Christian will lose. You will win. It's been purchased for you. You got it. You will have it. It's yours. We didn't earn it. It's not because we're better than other people. It's not because we've done more. It's because Jesus has done it all for us. And this is what he has purchased. This new, this new world order, this new dimension. It's not political. It is everlasting. It is spiritual. It is overflowing in abundance. It's everything we could ever want or desire. We get God. That's who we get. That's who we've wanted. We're going to get him. I don't know exactly what that is, but I know I get it. I get it finally. We get what we've longed for. We get God. All because of Christ. He brings God to us. But then there's, there's the other dimension. There is this lake. There was no sea. There was no sea in the Jerusalem that came down from heaven, there is a geographical difference. Somewhere in another dimension, there is a lake. There is a lake. There is a lake of fire. Totally apart from this holy city that came out of heaven. They are not the courageous ones. They are the cowardly. They are sinfully cowardly. They will not stand for Jesus. They would rather stand with this world. They are faithless. They are unbelievers. They refuse to believe the gospel. They are detestable. They are murderers. That's who they really are. That's why 
there will only be joy in this new world because everything that is cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderous and sexually immoral will be outside. It'll be in another dimension. And all liars. Lying is such a terrible thing and there's no one in the world that's not guilty of it. The wicked go forth from the womb speaking lies. When that child stands up in, in, in that crib who's got a dry diaper and a full tummy and has been rocked for a half an hour and mom says it's time to go to bed. He stands up, she stands up and she screams like something's wrong, like, like, like uh, 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 things aren't right, that I am in uh, uh, distress. I don't guess the mom will go in and say, you liar. But that's what she's doing. That's what he's doing. No, she'll go in or the dad will go in and peacefully lay the child down, pat the child on the back. Don't tell lies, my boy. You're fine. And then they go to sleep. But the lies blossom in in into thorns and briars much worse than that and 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 all, 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 although God is going to get a people out of the homosexuals he's going to get a people out of the terrorists he's going to get a people out of the hypocrites he he's going to get a people out of the false religions Hindus are going to be saved Buddhists are going to be saved. Animists are going to be saved. Muslims are going to be saved. But the ones who he passes over and he gives their preference, every rebellious and, and, and refuser of the gospel who is a homosexual, who is a Buddhist, who is, who is in the cults, who is a religious person and, and will not take Christ. This is where they have their place. This is where they will go. And right now, you see that? See, there won't be, there won't be any handkerchiefs anymore. I won't need one anymore. But right now we weep. We weep because right now there are some of you here that are outside of Christ and you are not making up your mind right now to go to Him. You are still refusing Him. You still don't see the beauty in Him. You're still not asking for Him. You're still not wanting more of Him. Why are you this way? Why won't you give up? Why won't you call upon His name? Because everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be just like we are. We're not better than you. We've just been transformed. We've just been changed by His grace. If you want it, you can have it. Just ask for it. Don't decide right now not to do that. Well, we've seen these contrasts. and Let me just give you some applications very quickly. And, and uh, then we're done. Dear people, we need to fix our thoughts with frequency on this.
You need to think about this. I remember working at Texas Gas, having a hard time uh, coming out of my boss's office and just wasting my time. Just such a worldly guy. My heart went out to him. And, and, and I, I did not know these verses like I know them now. I'd walk out and I'd, oh, I'd come around the corner and head for the bathroom and say, I'm going to heaven when I die. It made me happy. It made me glad. Bring these things to your mind. Bring that you're going to get God and that you're going to have God. And all the things that make you weep and cause you pain and, and, and suffering, they will all pass away. It is like the story that uh, John Newton told of, about a man that had inherited a mere million dollars. And he was in a carriage and his carriage broke down. He was only a mile away from where he wanted to go. We can't imagine him, John Newton says, complaining, my carriage, my carriage is only a mile away from a million dollars. We're only a few minutes away from eternal life. <laughs> Unspeakable. Eternal life. And don't be afraid of tears. They're only for this life. Cry as much as you want, as much as you need to. Be sure you're crying for the right reason. Uh, some of my tears have been tears of self-pity, sinful tears. And whatever tears that I have had, I'll say with, uh, I think it was Thomas Watson who said, my tears need to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. And all of us who cry will say that. We are nerved then. We are nerved for persecution. What motivates these, these men in orange suits to be taken down to the beach without fighting at all? What nerves them to do that? What gives them that? They've got the Holy Spirit. Now, I learned something. I've, I've, I've got time to tell it in, in just a minute. I, I could not figure out what nerves them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can understand why uh, Christians are martyred and why they willingly do it and why a child will not deny Christ. He'd rather have his head cut off in front of his parents than, 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 than to deny Jesus. But what about them? Well, Pastor Jonathan told me. They have a spirit too. They've got the spirit of the devil in them who was a murderer from the beginning, who was a deceiver and a liar and a destroyer from the very beginning. And there's a force within them which they are responsible for because they receive him and they follow him. And, and, and in their case there, Allah is not God. It's the devil. And that's why a married couple will... will will kill a mass of people and leave a baby at home and get in a gunfight with policemen and lose their lives because they're in the hands of the devil. They are, the, they are vile. They are detestable. They are the ones who will have their portion in the lake of fire. So we are nerved for that. We know that if we ever face fierce persecution, we will have the grace of God. He will make us to stand.
if I have to have my head cut off, I'll, I'll do it. It's easy to say now because it's not happening. But I, but I know the grace of God would be there if that's what he wants. That's what all of us want is what he wants. And one of the most glorious things, one of the most glorious things um, on my last application, the great evidence is already present. What is that evidence? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's who you are. That's the evidence. God has entered into this world and into your life in particular, and you are a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Old things have passed away, new things have come. There is evidence all over the world that there is another dimension. There is a world that enters into this world and makes new creatures. And, and, and what happens to them? Well, all of this is from God through Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we are ambassadors for Christ. That's why we can't stop talking about Christ because we are, we are new creatures. And we got to share the joy. We want you to enter in to the joy of being a Christian, this glorious prospect of having God, of living in God, of, of, of seeing Jesus who, who, who is the center of that kingdom which is to come. Well, I'd like to um, invite the uh, music team uh, to start coming up and while they're coming, let me say this. Um, did Mary know this? When Mary held Jesus in the stable, did she know this? I don't know. If, if she could understand Isaiah, uh, she knew something of it. But did Jesus know it? He knew it from all eternity. The Son of God planned this beautiful place for us where we will be uh, forever, totally separated from everything uh, that is harmful. That's where we'll be. Well, now, as a part of our worship, as well as we worship God together, um, um, we're going to pass the baskets uh, in, in, in order to give you an opportunity corporately to honor God with your financial gifts and there are some that have already written checks and there are some that uh, give online they have a clear conscience there are others who will have the opportunity right now to corporately uh, worship God in your giving let us close in prayer then please Oh, Heavenly Father, we have talked about things that we can scarcely understand. But we know by your word, because it is true and it is done, it is finished completely, that we shall have a home in you forever. We long for those that are yet outside of Christ, that they would make their move by your grace to you, and that they would abandon their own righteousness and their own plans, and their own desires, and that you would be their desire. 
Thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for Christ coming. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his blood shed on the cross. Thank you for his intercession. Thank you for his coming again. Oh God, help us to live these righteous, holy, pure lives. Help us to show our courage and our love for Christ by sharing him. Give us great joy during this time, great happiness that abides with us. May we call these things to mind because they are ours and Christ is ours. We pray this all in his glorious and magnificent name. Amen. Amen.